Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here at The Guardian, we love podcasts. Not only do we make dozens of award winners ourselves, but we also write about our favorite podcasts from around the world too. Every week, our column Hear, Hear, that's here as in hearing and here as in where, comes out filled with recommendations from you, our listeners. We sift through them all to find the hidden gems that the podcasting world has to offer. These podcasts are often small yet mighty productions, which you probably wouldn't find highlighted on your usual podcatchers. So, if you're looking for your next podcast or have one that you want to share with the world, sign up for our weekly Hear Hear newsletter at theguardian.com forward slash podmail and send us an email at podcasts at theguardian.com. The Guardian. Hello, this is Brexit Means, The Guardian's regular dispatch from Brexit land. This week, in the second of our occasional series on how different EU27 countries view Brexit, what they make of Britain's decision to leave and why, how they're responding, what they want from a final deal, we're going to be looking at Germany. Now, Germany is a member state, obviously, that weighs perhaps more heavily in the equation than most, not just because of its size and the importance of its role in the EU's decision-making, but also because it's Britain's biggest single trading partner, and because, I'm afraid, we're going to have to go there, of the somewhat exceptional place that Germany occupies in the collective British consciousness. So with me to discuss this are three veritable experts on the subject, unlike other programmes we like experts on Brexit means. In the studio are Stephanie Bolzen, who's the London correspondent of the German newspaper Die Welt, and Imke Henkel, who's here in London for Die Zeit. And on the line from Berlin is The Guardian's very own bureau chief there, Philip Altman. Welcome to all of you. Let's begin, shall we, with the decision to leave. Some time ago now, I know, but I think it's important to look at the relationship that Britain and Germany had while Britain was still in the European Union. Not that we've left yet, but we are on the way out. I think it's fair to say that Germany generally tended to see the UK as as more of an ally in the EU, a country that was kind of a bit like Germany, not given to flights of integrationist fancy, a fellow realist, a fellow pragmatist. So, Stephanie, can I start with you? Is that a fair picture? Could we say that Germany viewed the actual outcome of the referendum, the decision to leave with with surprise? Very much so. And I remember being in the Chancellery, so in the Prime Minister's office in the summer of 2016, and somebody close to Chancellor Merkel told me she was shell-shocked. I mean, she was absolutely devastated about Mm. this decision to leave. And that's very much in the Merkel view of the world 
of Britain bringing something into the European Union that was a wide horizon, what we call in Germany the Anglo-Saxon attitude, liberal, the historic links to the US, the military power, and also when it came to the budget. Germany and Britain always went hand in hand and made sure that the European Union wouldn't get too much money. Saying this, at the same time, long before the Brexit referendum, there was the fact that Britain was already withdrawing. So mm. Cameron taking out the Tories from the EPP back in 2010 mm -hmm. and many other things, there was already a feeling, and that wasn't so much Britain, but the Tory party was taking Britain kind away of, from Europe. semi-detached yes. st yeah. uh, yeah, status. Yeah. Absolutely. And maybe that's also a little bit the reason why Germany or the German government wasn't too much putting too much effort into keeping Britain in and giving them a better deal than mm. Cameron got mm. because they were already drifting out onto the Atlantic. That's right. Yes, I think it was Xavier Bettel, the, the Luxembourg prime minister, who expressed that idea most neatly, which when he, he tweeted something like, you know, bloody Brits or words to that effect, you know, when they were in, all they wanted were opt outs. And now they're going to be out and all they want are opt ins, you know. <laughs> in case you wanted to come in. That's your view as well. It was that Germany views the UK's departure with regret. Yes, overall, I would absolutely um, agree. There was also huge regret for all the reason Stephanie mentioned. But I also would like to stress that uh, Germans were increasingly feeling uh, exasperated with, with Britain. I think you could feel that very much in Brussels, where the British side, and that obviously was, was mostly the Tory party, were very mm. often seen as the odd ones out. But I also remember that before it all happened, there was already an intense debate trying to explain why Brexit wasn't a good idea increasingly German MPs would come to, to London and try to explain it. Normally, if MPs come here, they come to the German embassy, they talk under, off the record. Mm -hmm. and, and they, they increasingly came here to, and spoke on the record, said extraordinary things. And I, I remember one thing was that, that, that and, and Cameron was like a butterfly. He was flying somewhere here, somewhere there. We, you never quite knew where he was, but what we needed were a line. Which is extraordinary say, mm. thing to say for an MP, basically insulting the oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It had hardly any repercussions. It was, and one times journalists quoted it, and I think that was about it. I mm. think it was the only one who was, who was present. And it was really German politicians trying to shout, watch out, don't do that, it's mm. bad idea, <laughs> and not being listened to. And I think that was when it finally happened. Of course, there was a shell shock, there was this um, um, really, really regret, really genuine sadness. Mm. But I think over the month, and I think that is very much where we are now, the exasperation grew as well. And I think that is whatever you say. Uh, and now you just want it over and done with. Really. Exactly. Over yeah. and done with and never go back there. Mm. And I think that is really that cuts all the illusions Britain is going back or there could be a second referendum. It's not. I, I think that is just not realistic also for these reasons. That's very interesting. Philip, I was going to ask you, I mean, there have been some attempts by some in Germany to um, either persuade Britain to change its mind or to persuade the EU to give Britain sort of the best deal possible. I mean, does that does that feeling still linger? Do you think that, that are there people in Germany who would like Britain to change its mind or think it might? I think at the beginning, after the vote, there was a sort of long uh, spell of um, sort of disbelief. It felt very unreal. And I think a lot of people thought, Maybe there's a window for the Brits to change their mind. And I think they wanted to keep that window open for as long as possible. So I think even in the sort of a couple of months after the referendum, there was an interview with Peter Altmaier, and he was still talking sort of very couched language, but he was saying we should 
give the Brits an opportunity um ihre Entscheidung zu überdenken. To, to reason, not quite rethink, but to think over their decision. Right. And that, I think, was the attitude for quite a long time. And I think a lot of people, I mean, if you talk to people on the street, to an extent, even if you pe talk to people in, uh, in Parliament, they sort of think that that may still be a possibility. So I think there's always hope. <laughs> but on the other hand, I mean, you say, you know, there may be some people who want Brussels to give Britain mm. a good deal. I think in particular there was a sort of a business campaign, wasn't there, or, or, or elements a of business? A very small business campaign, okay. I have to say. I was at their launch. There weren't many people there. It's run by former presidents of the German Federation of Industry. That's very prestigious, mm -hmm. but they are former presidents. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them uh, was a founding member of the AFD. That oh, doesn't okay. necessarily give them that much clout with the <laughs> other parties. Yeah. Um, These people have been very quiet. They launched, they launched the whole campaign the day after the coalition talks collapsed. So uh, there weren't many people listening on, the, mm. on that day. I think they, that's, it, that may be a debate in the business community, but it's, it really is very quiet. And I think at the moment, German politics is in a period of... Con considerable flux status. and uncertainty, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and people really have been quite happy not to think too hard about about Brexit and to, to delegate it to Brussels. I to mean, you really don't hear that many people complaining uh, or people who wish that they, they could have a more active role on, sh on shaping the situation because it's a very difficult situation to shape uh, while Britain is unclear about it. What, Britain what it itself wants. doesn't know what it wants. Exactly. All right, well, thanks for that. Look, let's move on sort of down the, the timetable a little bit and look at the sort of Article 50 process, the first phase of that process, which of course concluded in December. Now, Germany was, was instrumental in ensuring that the talks would be phased, that they would be they carried out over two phases, and therefore that the, these questions, the, the first three big questions of the first part of the talks, namely the Irish border, the financial settlement and citizens' rights, all had to be settled before Brexit negotiations could move on to talk about the, the, the future relationship. Stephanie, I'd like to ask you, is Berlin satisfied with the outcome of that first phase? I mean, I think it's quite notable that the last week, or maybe it was the week before, the head of the sort of Brexit unit in the German government tweeted a kind of a friendly warning, didn't he, that, you know, sufficient progress meant just that, sufficient progress, not not progress complete <laughs> not you know the, the target has not yet been reached is germany worried do you think that there are things in that first phase of the talks that are that are not settled and will come back and cause problems not only in berlin they're also um worried in brussels mm -hmm. and i've heard that in brussels when i was there last time and i was in berlin at the beginning of this week they are very worried but it's not only worried, they are frustrated because the UK once more is not delivering. There's a lot of open questions left from the phase one agreement, which is not an agreement yet. It is just an overall agreement on the three issues you named. But this still has to get in detail into legal texts. And there's a lot that in Brussels they are waiting uh, from from uh, Whitehall to, to deliver. Um, One thing I would like to mention is mm -hmm. that I think it's a bit of an urban legend that it was Germany insisting on the Brits had to pay. All okay. the 27 wanted the Brits <laughs> to pay. Of course, it's always it's quite an easy headline to say the French and the Germans, they just want the money. Da -da. Everybody wanted the money. I mean, this was um, that's why also, obviously, we had this such a strong unity in the first phase of the negotiations, because that was something 
that the uh, member states agreed on. Our citizens have to have a safe future in Britain, that Britain fulfills its financial commitments. Mm-hmm. Well, and then Northern Ireland, obviously, is a different story. But in, in terms of phase one, I think, I mean, I, I was talking to someone in Berlin on, on Tuesday this week, and um, that it was a, a mixture of frustration and real worry, because the clock is ticking mm-hmm and ticking and ticking and um, you won't get a transition agreement unless you agree on the withdrawal uh, terms, not even speaking about what we are actually or what the Brits want to talk about, which is the future framework, which is actually now due in March. So they are so far away. And and I mean, it's not funny, but the thing is, how can they at the March Council agree on guidelines for the future framework if London doesn't tell them what they want. Exactly. Imker, for some time, having seen Britain, as, a, as, as we said, as, or at least as I said in the beginning, I, I assume this is the way that Britain was largely perceived, uh, you know, as, as relatively kind of pragmatic and realistic and sensible. Is there a degree of, of surprise in Germany at the, the kind of utter confusion with which the government is approaching Brexit? Yes, <laughs> and, and there certainly is. But now we are moving in a very, very interesting area, the perception of Britain, because I think it has also been wrong for a long, long time, and not least in our reporting of us foreign correspondents or what our editors wanted us to report on and is, is partly to blame on it. I think, again, speaking of urban myths, yes, we had this myth of, of um, Britain being pragmatic and, and rational. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time it has not been so. And interesting, I moved from journalism to academic uh, career and I am uh, starting a research where you actually can find that this kind of intense romanticism and irrational dream of a not modern and sovereign and, um, state goes back really to 200 years in Britain. And you have quite, uh, populist um, utterances which are quite close to what, what we have nowadays. Hmm. Coming back to um, how frustrated Germany really is and the whole of, of the EU, and I very hmm. much agree there with Stephanie, we're living in cloud cuckoo land. We had the sufficient progress, which, among other things, and included this alignment in, in Ireland. Hmm. The next day we had the David Davis, the uh, Brexit secretary, saying actually that it wasn't quite what was meant with it. We still discuss about alignment. There's no idea whether this alignment is, hmm. is going to work. This is just one, one of the areas. We have the Prime Minister going back on, on any agreement, on, on any citizens assurance. Rights. Citizens' yeah. rights. Yeah. Just, so, just this week, yeah. Just just this week, precisely. <laughs> so it's, we had an argument we're moving backwards. Mm. And then, then the whole economic area, there's no idea where Britain stands. That is complete Google land. When she was leaked, the planning that was pretty detrimental, which is basically saying what people were saying since months or if not years, that moving out of one of the biggest economic areas is not a good idea. Pretty obvious. The reply is, actually, we haven't taken into account there's a unicorn out there, (laughs) which is our idea. We have a special deal that no one has, that no one apart from us wants. And and, and which the EU has effectively ruled out. Which effectively the EU (laughs) has ruled out and which we even don't know exactly what it will be. But this one hasn't been taken into account and that will be marvellous. And of course, yes, are other partners frustrated with that view? Yes, they are. And I think that is... That is where we are moving increasingly. increasingly. If you started saying um, we had regret, yes, we had regret. But I think this regret is fading very quickly because there's nothing really 
to hang on faced with this exactly yes i think you know from my perspective what we often what we're really seeing here in britain's approach to brexit is this kind of unique and deadly british combination of kind of ignorance and arrogance you know kind of the you know an ignorance of how the eu works and an arrogance about what it can achieve and its place in 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 the world well that's (laughs) another word for it philip I'd like to talk a little bit about Germany in the EU and this perception in Britain, at least, that Germany basically kind of runs the show. And it's certainly true that, that you know, the EU's unity was absolutely striking throughout all of last year. And Germany clearly played an important part in that. But how accurate is that British view that, you know, the EU basically is Germany, perhaps occasionally with a little bit of France, but, you know, Germany is the one that really runs it. To be fair to Britain... That's a perception that that isn't uniquely British. Hmm. That's certainly a complaint you hear from southern Europe, from Italy as well. I've just come back from a trip to Hungary, and that's certainly what you hear from the people around Orban as well. They say Germany just thinks about its economy. It's certainly not really what you hear in Germany, partly because there what gets amplified is the decisions at the European level that go against Germany. So interest rates, if Germany was running Europe I think they would have seized the European Central Bank and mm-hmm. they would have very different interest rates. It's a give and take. And I think to, to sort of sum it up as Germany just running the show is, is, is very misleading. And it, it, it also misses a much wider historic story, which is Germany is a big country, mm. a big economy that sits in the center of this continent. Now, of course, you could say get rid of the uh, structure to, and, and everyone return to nation states. But then you would still have the same arguments that Germany would somehow meddle because it's a big country. No. It's, it's like a big elephant that sometimes steps on things. Right. We can't get away from when you talk about Germany, I think, to an extent to say that it's a country which never causes problems. It's that sort of rose-tinted view because it's a, it's a big economy that has interests. And like every other country, it tries to, to have its way. If you look at the statistics of when in Brussels, how often Germany gets outvoted, mm. I think that puts it into perspective. Okay, okay. Um, Imke, you want you to have a quick, a quick word? Yes, I, I, I would um, caution a little I think the, the British analysis that Germany runs in Europe is over the top, but I would give it more credence than you do, Philip, actually. I, I think and that is partly what is the really sad thing about Britain leaving the EU. There is very rational, very clear-sighted, probably about the best analysis in, on the EU that is in Europe comes from Britain. And that is the other side to the whole Brexit that we rarely talk about. That Britain, Britain really is a divided country in the way there's, on the one hand, we have the cloud cuckoo land, which is sadly running the country in the moment. <laughs> but we very much have the, um, the rational, very analytical side. And I think they, they are on to something. And Germany has run Europe or very much decided, determined what is going on in Europe for quite a while. Remember the Greek crisis, remember the Euro crisis, remember what there happened, which all contributed to Brexit in the end, to not not a, a small uh, percentage. And these are crises which are still not solved, and which mm. we are not really talking yes, about. Yes, the Eurozone, absolutely, is another, yeah. Um, um, so yeah, we, I think we'll steer clear of that one for the time being. But you're right that it did contribute. Let's move on, because I want to tackle a very, very common view here in Britain, which is the fact that since almost the day after the referendum in June 2016, Chancellor Angela Merkel and countless other 
German officials and political leaders have been among the staunchest defenders of the integrity, I mean, you could almost say the sanctity of, of the single market, this idea that there can be no benefits without obligations, that the four freedoms must be respected, there can be no cherry-picking, that famous term. Um, and since even before, before the referendum, Brexiteers here have been insisting that Germany will, at the end of the day, end up changing its mind and it will push for a special bespoke trade deal for the UK because of the immense economic importance of Germany's experts, cars being a particular favourite of people like the Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, that this is the argument that you could sort of sum up as, as the BMW argument. Now, Stephanie, can we kind of nail this one once and for all? Um, can we? Can you first of all talk a little bit about the, 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 why the preservation of the single market is so important to Germany? I mean, not just sort of the pure economic value of it, but also about the you know the absence of borders, the fluidity of trade, how important it is with you know with German companies that have these massive investments now in in, in Eastern Europe. Why is the single market so important? I would also call the BMW argument the BMW saga or the BMW <laughs> urban legend again, because when you talk to German business, of course, there is massive interest because uh, Britain, I think, after you, the US and France, is the biggest export mm. market. But they have for a long time now made their contingency plans. Uh, they are aware of many hundred thousand jobs do depend directly or indirectly of the of the UK market. But um, they have more and more been absolutely desperate. They have been coming here. Delegations of business people have come to London and have asked, what, what do you plan to do? And didn't get any answers. If mm. over month and month you don't get any answers, you look at the alternatives. And this is what they have been uh, doing a lot. And somebody just recently from Berlin said to me, uh, look, if they lose 10% in their business, they lose 10% and they will compensate it somewhere else. Now, the, the single market, and by the way, I mean, that's the sad um, element of the history. If you look into the Maastricht Treaty, which is the basis of the single market, it was all driven by Britain. Mm. Also, the freedom of movement principle was driven mm. by Britain. The enlargement was driven by Britain. Um, and it's something that obviously in Germany, because of German history, because of German business history, it was very much welcome. It makes sense. So I come from an area, for example, which is close to the Dutch border and the Belgian border. This has been is in re, uh, an area that has been striving. It's the area of Aachen, Maastricht, mm -hmm. uh, Düsseldorf. It's an absolutely striving area without borders where you can do business cross cross border. People can live on both sides of the border, and it just makes sense. And it it appeals also if you go um, if you now forget about the, the economic aspects. For Germany, haven't been a country that was divided by a wall not having borders. It's in the collective awareness, the collective memory, and it's something that is an, an enormous achievement of not having borders anymore. Okay, you will now say, well, it's now at stake again, and Germans are not so happy with Schengen borders or no borders because of the refugee crisis, yeah. because of terrorism. But I think the principle of open borders is not is not put into question. And that is because of business interests, but also because of history and, and culture. Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting point. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very simple, hard-nosed analysis. What, what do we pr um, benefit more from it? Just from a very national mm. German perspective, seeing the single market or trade with Britain, it's a single market. 
对，所以 it is actually surprising that these uh, uh, so-called BMW or car、mm. argument survives so long. It's it's obviously wrong, and and I would be surprised if、um, there wasn't some analysis within Downing Street turned to that quite because it it has become somewhat quiet around this this argument. That, I don't I don't think it's going on anymore. That is true. Yes,、Focus. I think also if I can just add, of course, I mean, the the BMW argument. I mean, you don't have to. Believe that、um, these BMW managers are sort of um, uh, uh, great um,、uh, federalists or believers in the European project from a sort of、uh, utopian point of view. I think they're just very realistic. If you look at how cars are produced these days,、mm. I mean, they talk about the, the long workbench model of car production. When、um, you hear some British politicians talking about BMWs, they seem to sort of still talk about a, a, a 1950s. Idea of how cars are made—that they are all produced in one country and then all shipped across the channel and all sold in the other country. Now it's it's a really complicated process,、um, and I mean the cars that eventually may get sold in Britain—they don't just get produced in Germany; they get made from leather that may be tanned in Romania somewhere.、Mm. So I mean there there are supply chains that go th-、um, through the continent. And, and actually, if if you didn't have, I mean, if you are a BMW manager,、uh, and you don't have free movement, then you don't have, then you can't get your your car made. You don't, you don't have, have BMW orders.、Yeah. You don't you don't have your your、mm. car parts、um, in your factory in time. I mean,、mm. it's 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 a pretty realistic assessment of the fact that you need this. Uh, this this setup in order for your industry to survive, and that outweighs the、uh, yeah no that I mean that seems clear. C- can we stay with you, Philip, just for a second a- and talk about whether Germany sees? I mean, we've talked about potential cost to Germany of of Brexit, but a potential gain perhaps. I know you've reported from Frankfurt on preparations being made there for Brexit. This determination, sort of, not to allow Britain a, a special deal on financial services, which obviously, you know, would have potentially at least consequences for the city. The whole issue、mm. of financial passporting D- does that play into the equation for Germany? Not, so, not just the question of the integrity of the single market, the sort of question of principle, but also, you know, a, a very practical question, which is that Frankfurt, for example, might gain. I think it might gain.、Um, I wouldn't. I would be a bit cautious of、um, exaggerating、uh, the gain there. And to be honest, I don't think, in polit- political terms, it's, it's sort of talked about as a great、uh, treasure chest. I don't think if you talk to people in Frankfurt, no one really thinks that City of London is going to collapse. That、mm. seems pretty speculative, and、uh, I think everyone seems to believe that's unlikely. Is there some sort of、um, gain, perhaps even a short-term gain, a little bit of a boost for Frankfurt? Certainly, everyone seems to think that、uh, Frankfurt. Is already booming anyway.、Um, uh, there's lots of、uh, banks have been, you know, for the last five years, even before Brexit, been、uh, opening up、um, headquarters there or even building new skyscrapers. And certainly, if you if you talk to people,、um, they all feel we've given another little lift by by Brexit. So, if you,、uh, at one of the international schools I went to. Um, they said, "Yes, we're you know we're going to build ten new classrooms.、Hmm. Probably we wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for Brexit. So there's 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 a, there's a real sort of boost somewhere, but it's it's limited and it's not entirely. I mean, even in Frankfurt, it's not always、um, popular.、Uh, I mean, Frankfurt is already feeling、um, the rise of uh, property uh, rental prices. People being squeezed out of the city centre. Long queues for viewings of rental flats."、Hmm. 
all sounds a bit too familiar from London to be uh, purely just popular. Yeah, yeah, no, good point. Looking at, at now at the, at the future trade agreement, if we're assuming we, we, we get that far, future relationship, could we identify Germany's red lines in that future relationship? Are they already there and plain to see? Might they conceivably change? I think there's an illusion in Britain about what can be achieved this year. No one is talking about a trade deal or something that might uh, just look like a trade deal. All we're looking at this year, maybe in October, will be a future framework agreement, which is a purely political agreement where you set up the principle how the future relationship should look like. And of course, there will be a trading relationship. But um, I, I, <laughs> I actually, I really admit I, I don't know what the German benchmarks uh, would be for that because simply we are too far away from that. Mm. Of course, Germany will then introduce its interest of a frictionless trade, as Philip just explained, all this going back mm. and forth for the... Um, for, for example, parts of car of, parts, of or, car parts yeah. or whatever, and that will be a, a major interest. But I, I, I really have the, the impression that um, there is not so much thinking about that for the time being, um, and there is so much delay in the whole Brexit process anyway that I think there is more worry in Berlin that, that, that we won't see a car crash anyway in uh, maybe in October because there is too much still unsolved which needs to be solved before you can go to the last even stage get of, to the, yes, even get to that get point. To talk about it. MK, you wanted to... Yeah, we, ha- we, we had recently this um, um, fantastic dialogue leaked between uh, Merkel and May, the German Chancellor, and, and the Prime Minister. And she I would be very careful about that, by the way. Yeah. I think yeah, it's been too. picked up too easily, and I've been in many backgrounds with Angela Merkel. She would Where never she say it that way. Never. She would never mock another Prime Minister. And <laughs> just to say, mm. I can imagine that they asked her, so how is it going? with Britain and how's it going with Theresa May and she just replayed a dialogue she had with Theresa May and the point is Merkel didn't mock Theresa May just this the, the whole situation is comical Yes, and I, I, I actually agree, maybe not mocking, but I have been in, in several um, background briefings with Merkel where she absolutely did make fun of people. But in no, a very, she doesn't. But in, a very she doesn't. Su- <laughs> but in a very subtle way. And it's not, it's not mocking, but um, she could... I can well see her, because I have, I have heard her doing uh, similar things that she recounts the conversation. But simply but recounting the, the, con- the, the conversation exactly, is sufficiently... Exactly, and, and, the idea, and, okay. and the idea is actually not about whether it's funny or not, or whether mm. it's... So the point point really is and I, I think that the the essence and um, will um, will be true that because that is basically what we're hearing also that that might make me an offer and and Merkel mm. basically replies well you left you tell us what you want no make me an offer no you tell us what what, what you want because that is basically um, the situation where, where we are in it is still too early sadly for red lines or any shape of negotiation to emerge from the European side or the German side because for that to happen we need to know we need to have a clearer shape of the British mm. negotiation and the British position still is all over the place we still have the point where we do not want alignment we want to leave the single market we want to leave the customs unions and on the other hand people saying no actually and Philip Hammond notably um, saying no that is not a good idea we want to stay in want mm. to keep as much as we want and this is n- not something that is resolved and that is fundamental of course and as I long mean, as you yeah, do not it's, know it's that the biggest it's the biggest question isn't it um yeah. let's move on because we're, we're starting to run slightly out of time philip i just want to ask you briefly um 
obviously, uh, you know, the, neg- the coalition negotiations are ongoing. Um, there's no guarantee how they will end. Um, even if there is an agreement, it may then be rejected by um, the SPD members in a vote. Is this uncertainty um, act going to play into the, talk, the Brexit talks at all in any way? Or is Germany's kind of fundamental position basically unchangeable? At the start of the year, perhaps we would have expected the people who do talk about Brexit in Germany. So, you know, they're, they're, they're Brexit sort of working groups. Mm-hmm. There's some people who, you know, have increasingly now talked to me. You would have thought that maybe there would have been lines emerging, some sort of a clearer sense of what Britain may want. That hasn't happened. That could have to do with the fact that there isn't a government which you can sort of use as, um, you know, uh, the basis for for the decisions that you make. So maybe that explains the standstill. I think perhaps also from a tactical point of view, uh, following on from what we've just said in the, in the group, that it's a bit risky to, to sort of field your demands when you're sort of unsure whether the person at the other t- end of the table is still going to be the same one in a few months time mm-hmm. and we had that situation last year and it hasn't really gone away it doesn't you know it, it doesn't really help the negotiations that there still seem to be people you know speculating about where the trees may may one day they go it really yeah. i think it slows down the negotiations because it becomes a risky exercise if, if you're if you're too open or if you show your hand And I think it's not only on the level of the prime minister, so on the highest level. I remember last time I was at the council in Brussels, a high high, uh, minister from a Europe country said, every time I come to Brussels, there's someone else I have to negotiate with. (laughs) Another baroness, another lord, another who, I'm getting really tired of this. So uncertainty is, is more on the British side, if anything, than on uh, Germany's absence of a, a, of a government at the moment. OK, I think there's a, a bit of an elephant in the room here, which we'd better address. The outgoing German ambassador to London told my colleague Patrick Winter last week that the Brexit vote was in part fuelled by Britain's image of itself in the Second World War. And certainly that kind of sort of jingoistic, nostalgic stuff about empire and, and, and Britain saving the continent. Uh, you know, in, in, in the 1940s and so on, has always influenced the way that many Britons see Germany, even now. I mean, we've remember, you know, the sort of the two world wars and one World Cup um, kind of kind of mantra, and, and not helped at all by certain sections of the media. How does Germany view that? Does I mean, Wrong. Stephanie? Is it? <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Of course, wrongly. But um, do Germans, Stephanie? Do you think see that? Many Britons, and or certainly at least let's confine it to the most passionate of the of the Brexiteers, are basically kind of deluded uh, about this country's place in the 21st century. I don't think so. I think, uh, but Philip must know that much better talking to Germans when he's out there in, in Berlin, how they see Britain. Uh, Germans see Britain as a very young, uh, cool, innovative country. I mean, they mainly know London, of course. Mm. Um, then again, if you then read <laughs> uh, profiles of Jacob Rees-Mogg, again, stereotypes are confirmed. I mean, you can't help it. Um, but I must say, I'm very unhappy about the interview that our ambassador gave because you can't, on the one hand, complain about stereotypes and then you feed these stereotypes. I think this this interview was completely unhelpful because um, 
the right-wing nationalistic media in this country is just waiting for this kind of stuff. And you could see it in the Telegraph and in the Sun. And my worry is, on the long run, because Britain will not get a bad deal, these countries will start exactly that or are already starting exactly that narrative. Germany, we helped Germany to come back to its feet, and now they are punishing us. And therefore, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty upset about this interview, I must say. OK, Philip, is Britain, I mean, does Germany think Britain's deluded about its place in the world? I agree with Stephanie on this a little bit. What we've seen, we've seen sort of for the last week, really feels like we're back in 1996. I mean, you remember there was the, the Euros, there was the mm. um, let's Blitz Fritz, Achtung, uh, uh, Surrender, front yes. pages. You know, we've, we've, we've gone through a sort of a little nostalgic revival of, of that with um, some front pages about some loungers and Germans putting their towels on it and yeah. uh, telegraph editorials. And yes. I mean, okay, it's, it's tiresome, uh, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> At the same time, um, you know, <laughs> clearly some parts of the British press can't help themselves. <laughs> and I sort of agree that... Um, for the ambassador to, to bring that up wasn't wasn't a smart move. I expect he didn't. I guess it's no coincidence it. that he was on his way out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think um, it's it's a sort of. I mean, you know, Germans have their uh, their cliches about the Brits, just like the uh, Brits have them about mm. um, about Germans. And I think they should be just as careful about not feeding these cliches too much as as the other way around. I think you know Brits tend to forget or tend to not realize that actually the majority of the sort of prevailing view that Germany has had of Britain since the post uh, Second World War has really been a very positive one and really sort of been a, of a sort of uh, a builder of, of modern Germany. Mm. A lot of institutions were sort of um, uh, copied and pasted across, whether it's, um, you know, newspapers uh, like built, modeled on the Daily Mirror, uh, or, or, you know, many, many things, German public life, um, Britain is regarded as a, as a, as a, model, a model, or was mm. for a long time. And you, the soft power that really Britain had over Germany, I think, has taken a bit of a knock since June 2016. Mm, 16. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. All right, it's time to wrap up, I'm afraid. I just want to ask you each in turn one very brief final question, which is simply this. You know, it's been about 18 months since the... Um, since the referendum, um, where are we going to be in 18 months' time? Soft, hard, car crash, an election in Britain, a second referendum? Um, Stephanie? I think we're going to be in a muddling through fudge situation. Britain will be out and in a transition period or implementation period, mm. if you prefer, <laughs> and still will not know what it's going to look like really when you are out, out, out. Okay. I think everything is possible. The car crash is quite possible because there are um, fierce contradictions in the British government. And if they are not trying to resolve it, I think Europe absolutely does not want a car crash, and neither Germany nor any of the other countries, because it will be detrimental for everyone. And, and they will try to, to prevent it and try to offer whatever is possible. But they are, of course, the single market is not going to be broken up. Okay. <laughs> and there will be some, some things that are just not possible. We'd, and the Irish question might just still lead us to, to a car crash. Um, the citizenship question still might lead us to a car crash. We are inches away from it. Hmm. And I think that is acutely felt in Brussels and they will try to prevent it with all means um, achievable I do not think that is um, acutely enough felt in Downing Street Okay, Philip? 
I'm going to push the boat out. I'm going to, just from a German point of view, um, my hunch, <laughs> I could be wrong, my hunch is that the Grand Coalition deal will get voted down by the members, and so we have a little German government crisis as well. We're mm. going to have Merkel reluctantly agreeing to do a, um, a minority government, but um, uh, that's going to really mean that Germany is, is not actually going to do much. There's not going to be many impulses fr from coming from Germany on Brexit at all. Perhaps in you know in eight months' time there will be um, there, there will be we'll be looking at another German election. So Germany be wrapped up in itself, mm. and um, Brexit will um, sort of be a, we'll, a little we'll noise in the distance. Do what it does. Okay, fair enough. Well, that's about it for this week. My thanks to Stephanie, Imke and Philip for joining me today. Please do subscribe and review on all your favourite podcatchers. Join the discussion on Twitter. You just need to search for Guardian Podcasts. If you want to get in touch, it's Brexit Podcast. That's all one word, Brexit Podcast at theguardian.com. Till next week then, I'm John Henley. The producer was Stuart Silver. This was Brexit Means. And thank you very much for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.